We are looking at Psalm 143. Uh, I'm using the Church Bibles, which is a new international version. So if you've got one of those, that's a good version to follow along in. Psalm 143, just continuing our series uh, in these Psalms of David. Starting at verse 1. O Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me, he crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God, May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your namesake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. I don't know what it was like for you, uh, growing up as a child in your household, or what it's like for you uh, bringing up children in your household, especially now perhaps when they're going to be around uh, for a long time. But I was fairly regularly in trouble. Um, in trouble for really carrying out experiments and, and, and things that I didn't particularly think were naughty. Uh, one occasion, for instance, uh, cutting off the cat's whiskers to see what would happen. And these sorts of incidents always ended the same way. They always ended with me uh, in, in front of my father, because he was always left to deal, deal with me, uh, and me having to explain myself. And I would start off with something like, well, I didn't think that the cat was going to get stuck in the cat flap. And before I could finish the sentence, he would interrupt by saying, you just didn't think. That's your problem. You just don't think. And in that one little phrase, he would sum up, as he saw it, uh, the whole problem uh, that I presented. I just didn't think. Well, we're in Psalm 143, uh, and verse 2 has a similar sort of summing up. It sums up so much of what the problem is, with humankind, uh, it sums up really the whole Christian message. And 
kind of pivotal to the whole Christian faith. So that's where we're going to start in a minute. We're going to dive into this psalm, uh, starting with verse 2, and then we're going to think about the two things that David prays for here. He prays for rescue, and he prays for guidance. But first of all, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, help us this evening to understand this psalm aright. Teach us your will. Let us learn more about your unfailing love and help us to concentrate. Amen. So let's go back to verse 2. It says, Do not bring your servant, that's you and me and all of us, do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. You know, wrapped up in that little phrase, no one is righteous, is summed up the whole human predicament. We're all going to face judgment one day. Verse 1 says, we will face a faithful and righteous God. And our problem, of course, is that none of us are faithful to God. None of us are righteous before him. And David knows that. Although this is his psalm, He's not saying this is just his problem. He's saying we are all facing that same situation. The whole world has messed up. While we're here on earth, that's true actually even for Christians. Even as Christians, we continue to mess up. Uh, I was reading of Calvin's Institute of the Christian Religion, just to prove I'm very highbrow. Um, and the bits that I understood are all rather good. Uh, but Calvin refers to this verse when he says, No saint ever will attain to perfection as long as he is in the body. And that idea of not being perfect, not being righteous, really runs through the entire Bible from Genesis right through to Revelation. Actually, in the Old Testament, it's very rarely stated as boldly as this phrase is about no one being righteous. But it's still an important Bible truth. If you think about it, uh, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, by the time we just get to the second chapter, 100% of the human population are in rebellion against God. And then that theme follows through, doesn't it? The Old Testament is a depressing litany of people ignoring and rebelling against God. By the time we get to the New Testament, Jesus says no one can know God. You can't know God unless it's through him. And then, of course, uh, Romans 3, Paul's famous use of this verse, where he says, everybody has sinned. Everyone's fallen short of the glory of God. And by the time you get to the last book of the Bible in Revelation, uh, chapter 8, for instance, describes God in judgment over all the nations. That is our predicament as humans. We have a perfect and loving God, and we are not. But a big question, I think, is do we really believe that? Do we actually believe that's true? Pope Francis said recently, that's a great quote, he said, the kingdom of God diminishes 
as we lose the sense of sin. I think that's a great clue. Sort of saying, well, we can get very blase, can't we, about our true position before God. We can downplay how serious our situation is. A few weeks ago, uh, I read in the paper the obituary of Colonel Mike Hall, otherwise known to his friends as Mad Mike. Now, he was famous in the 70s uh, as a mercenary. He was operating mainly in Southern Africa, and he brought down governments. He got involved with uh, fighting guerrillas. Uh, he was an armed gun for hire with quite a well-trained body of soldiers that he controlled. Um, and eventually, he led a coup in the Seychelles. And uh, it went horribly wrong. One of his soldiers got drunk and got arrested with a suitcase full of machine guns. And he ended up uh, in prison, in a South African jail, in prison there. And uh, they, uh, they made the film The Wild Geese about him, which uh, you may or may not remember from uh, that time. But the interesting thing, and it is interesting about Michael, is not only was he a mercenary, that's rather dull really, what was interesting was that he was a chartered accountant. And when I was training as a chartered accountant in the 70s, we had to read the Institute of Chartered Accountants journals. Uh, and they were pretty tedious, apart from the disciplinary pages. They were the best. And one day, one month, they read something like this. Not exactly like this, but you'll get the idea. So something like this. Um, Mr. Philip Moon, having fallen short of the standards expected of a chartered accountant, is hereby excluded from the Institute for failing to deal with client correspondence properly. And then it would go on. Um, Mrs. Anna Moon, having fallen short of the standards expected of a chartered accountant, is hereby excluded from the Institute for failing to submit an accurate tax return. And then it went on. Colonel Michael Hall, having fallen short of the standards expected of a chartered accountant, is hereby excluded from the Institute for offences contrary to the South African Civil Aviation Act, for inciting armed insurrection in the People's Democratic Republic of the Seychelles, and attempted assassination. Now I have to say that's a lot more exciting. And if I was up before the judgment seat uh, of the Institute of Chartered Accountants, I would be very tempted to say, excuse me, I might have filed a dodgy tax return, I might not have been very good at dealing with client correspondence, but at least I haven't led an armed insurrection in the Seychelles and blown people up and killed them. I'm nowhere near that bad, nowhere near as bad as still the Anna Moon. But of course it doesn't work like that, does it? I've fallen short in exactly the same way uh, as my did. I have not lived up to the standards that are expected of me. And when preachers tell us that actually God is perfect and we're not, we tend to do that sort of rationalisation thing. We tend to say, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. I'm not as bad as the next person. David says here, not a single person not a single person in this room, in this town, in this country, in this world has ever been good enough to face God. And if that's a bit of a depressing start, well, never mind, because the news get better, because the rest of this psalm 
is a response to that. Because David tells us, in this psalm at least, that there are two things that we need. He says we need help, we need rescue if you like, and we need guidance. We need to know what to do. And those themes are scattered across verses 3 to 12, so that's where we're going to go next. Um, start off thinking of this idea of, of needing help, and needing rescue. And it's pretty clear that David did need help. Uh, look at verse 1 and 11, he mentions being in trouble. Uh, if you just glance at verses 3, verses 9, verses 12, he talks about his enemies. He's clearly in trouble. And he's a believer. Uh, nowadays we'd say he's a Christian. And yet he has big problems in his life. And of course, right now, many of us are facing very big problems in our lives. That's why we're doing a service like this. That's why uh, Daniel Jubalas last week was talking about don't despair because God is near. It's an important message to hear. Psalm 55, verse 22, tells us to cast all our cares on the Lord and he will sustain us. And that is a big reason for David's prayer. To encourage us that even if we can't know God because we're not righteous, we can still turn to him. But we can do that because this psalm is also operating at a much deeper level. We've just seen that David has said that no one's righteous, no one can stand before God, and he knows that if he stays in that situation, he will be separated from God from ever. He talks about, verse 7, about going down to the pit, going down the pit. Uh, nowadays we would say, going to hell. Verse 3, he talks about dwelling in darkness like the dead. He knows he needs rescue. And we're in Lent, and we're approaching Easter, and we know how that rescue is going to happen, don't we? We know that God will stand before that tribunal instead of us. In the person of Jesus Christ, he's going to take the punishment and the exclusion that we deserve. So God will listen to our cry for mercy and come to our relief. Now just think for a minute. Think through the Easter story. Perhaps replay it in your brain, because many of you will know it well. And remind yourself what happened. Jesus prays and weeps in Gethsemane. And he says his spirit is oppressed. He says he's sorrowful to death. Then he's arrested. And he stands trial. And the people will look back on what he's done and what he's said. He's found guilty. And then he's crucified. His hands are stretched out. And from the cross, he says a few things. On one occasion, from a parched throat, he cries out that he's thirsty. And then later on, before he dies, he cries out that he's been forsaken. Before God hides his face, the earth goes dark, and Jesus descends to the pit of death. And sometimes, even as believers, we sort of wonder, don't we, did that really happen like that? Was it really effective in doing everything that the Bible says Jesus did for us? 
And we come back to a psalm like Psalm 143, and it is just so reassuring. Because in that psalm, those events are amazingly prefigured. They're sort of there. So verse 4, just as Jesus did, David says his spirit is fainting. In verse 5, just as people look back at what Jesus did, so he looks back on God's words. In verse 6, he's spreading out his hands and he's thirsty. And by verse 7, he's deserted by God. He's going down to the pit of death and he dies. David's greatest son is prefigured in these verses, this rescue. It's an extraordinary shadow picture of how God is going to rescue us. And it assures us that actually what Jesus did on the cross was no accident of history. It was God's divine response, his long-term solution to the problem of our standing before him. And of course, it doesn't end there, does it? Look on to verse 8. Verse 8 says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, because I trust in you. And those verses just remind me, certainly at the beginning of Luke 24, when we hear about the women, very early in the morning, Luke says, before it was yet light, they go to the empty tomb, and the angels bring them word that Jesus has defeated our great enemy. He has defeated death and has risen again. So this huge encouragement here, isn't there? The psalmist says, yes, we're in trouble before God. No, we can't face him. We can only, as one commentator put this, uh, put it, throw ourselves on God's covenant grace. But in these verses, we just get an inkling of how that grace will be worked out through Jesus. And at times like this, we are bound to worry, even fear, for our own lives, for our family's lives. But what reassurance here. No one is righteous, but for those who trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross, death has lost its sting. We have nothing to fear. And that may be great news. But actually, for you and for me, well, we're still here on earth. That's wonderful that our long-term future, or our future, is secure. But like David, we have our troubles here and now. And we don't know what to do about them. We're all worried about the virus, aren't we? We're all worried, I guess, about our businesses, about our families, about how we're going to pay the bills, whether this week or a few months' time. And we don't know where to turn. Great, our future is secure. But what about living in the here and now? So we're like David. We want to know what to do. Look at verse 7. He says, answer me quickly. Don't hide from me. Verse 8, show me the way to go. Verse 10, teach me. May your spirit lead me. He's insistent. It's like a child on a very long holiday. Nagging their parents. Help me, he's saying. And of course, the Bible doesn't say we're going to be free of trouble. We are promised wisdom to know how to live our lives, but we're not promised a life free of trouble. And that wisdom, that guidance God gives us through his word, 
and through his Holy Spirit. So, Psalm 119, verse 105, famous verse, the Bible's a light for our feet. Paul says, Galatians 5, that we live by the Spirit. And many of us have heard that many times. But it's still difficult, isn't it, to see the way forward. We want to see the big picture. We want to understand what's going on. We want to know how to behave in a certain situation. And I found this illustration the other day uh, in Jim Packer's book, Knowing God, which I found really helpful. Um, and he says, if you stand on a railway station, something like Clapham Junction, uh, and you're going up to London, uh, and you can see all the trains moving around, and you can see all the tracks, you can see people coming and going, you won't really understand what's going on at Clapham Junction until you go up into the signal box. And then, when you're in the signal box, you can see the entire layout, you can see which trains are coming from where and how the route's moving, and you can see the, see the system through the eyes of the people who are in control. And Packer says, do you know, God doesn't help us like that. And he says, the big mistake is to think that that is how God works. That as Christians, we are going to be given that sort of view of how the world works, that insight into God's mind. And he says, I think this is very wise words, that if we are looking for that sort of guidance from God, we're going to end up spiritually and even mentally depressed. And he gives a better analogy. He says it's much more like learning to drive. He says when you learn to drive, the important thing is to know how to behave yourself on the road, how to moderate your speed, uh, what are the appropriate reactions in a certain situation? Uh, having good judgment in changing situations. Uh, you don't argue with the direction the road is going in. You learn how to navigate the road in that direction. You keep alert to what's going on. And that is how we are to use the Bible. That is how we are to respond to the Spirit's promptings. Not to look for explanations. Not to be able to understand everything that's going on but to understand how to respond and how to behave in the situations that we are now in. Well, we're in a difficult situation now. How does that apply now? Well, how do we do God's will, we might pray, as David does in verse 10? And this psalm does help us a little bit. So, for instance, if we are in Christ, then we share in God's unfailing love. That's what David mentions in verse 8. So that means we're going to act out of love for other people. David says in verse 11 that the Lord will preserve our life. That means death is not something to fear. And when we meditate on God's works and all that he's done, perhaps in the Bible, perhaps in our own lives, we remember that God is in control. That means like David in this psalm, we entrust our lives to God. And with that in mind, that will govern how we behave. So, for instance, we don't stop violence so that others lose out. Out of love for others, we're not going to try and corner the market in toilet rolls or pasta or panadol or whatever. We live out that love following the guidance that's in Psalms like this, verses like this. So we don't get easy answers about what to do or what the big picture is. But we stay alert to God's word. And the Spirit helps us, like good drivers, to respond properly to the situation.
that we're in. That's the answer to David's prayer in verse 10, that he prays to be taught to do God's will. So, let's wrap up. Although David starts this psalm off by saying no one is right with God, there is huge hope in this psalm. There is the reassurance that when we trust in Jesus we have been rescued from death. And we know that that rescue really has been effective and we know that his spirit guides us even in difficult times. His spirit really will lead us on to level ground. Amen.